So, hesitate to do this for, for lots of reasons, but here's the deal. Um, there's a lot of pressure on people like me uh, to, to stand up in front of congregations and, um, and, and preach a sermon about what happened last week. And that was tempting. I, I, I spent a long time thinking about whether or not I was going to do that and, uh, and decided, I decided not to. But I, I will say this, and this is just me speaking. Um, uh, I think what, what happened last week was, was anti-Jesus. And I, I don't think anyone uh, watching right now would disagree with that. It was, it was anti-Jesus. Uh, so one of the other things I think we need to do is also own what happened as Christians. Because in many places, uh, this is what our faith has become. It was disturbing to see Jesus save signs. It was disturbing to see Christian flags waved as that whole thing went down. So I think we, we have to own it, but I also think we, we, we have no choice but to transcend it and to move beyond it and to be different, to be better, and to do what we say we want to do, and that is to follow Jesus. Because I think Jesus, Jesus offers us a very different way, a very different path. And so I'm not going to preach a whole sermon about it. We're just going to follow Jesus in one of the stories about him in the Bible. And I think even today, you'll see that Jesus, Jesus offers us a very different way. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43 is the story we're going to look at. Um, This is is one of my favorite stories about Jesus in the Bible. And I don't exactly know why. Maybe it's because it's so artistic and it's in the way that, that Mark put it together. I'll get into that a little bit later, but um, you'll find the words on the screen. Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43, before we read and hear from God's word, let's pray together. Uh, God, we just pray that you would meet us wherever it is we are, in our hearts right here in this moment. And we trust, Holy Spirit, that you will do that as we open your word. We pray, God, that you would speak to us. Pray that you would help us to hear. And in the hearing of your word, we pray that we would be transformed and made new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mark 5, 21 through 43, listen to these words. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake. So he had been on this side of the lake before, then he had crossed over and done some things, and now he's back. And now a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. 
A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from suffering. At once, Jesus revealed that power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? You crazy? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid. Just believe. Just trust me. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. We'll go that far. This is so good, right? So, our story this morning is really two stories in one. Two stories woven together with such intricacy that I, I don't think we should hesitate to, to call it a, a work of art. And Mark's really good at this too, by the way. This weaving together of two stories. He does it about nine times in just 16 short chapters. And it's really beautiful when you think about it. Two stories woven together, light from one story sort of chases away the darkness from another story. And, and we learn some things about Jesus that we might not otherwise have learned. It's really cool. So this morning, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna simply retell the story, the two stories. I'm gonna weave in another story of my own in the middle of them and ask some rhetorical questions maybe and probably make some comments about it and just see what happens. So how does the story go? Here's how it goes. 
After calming a storm and spending some time on the other side of the lake, healing a desperate man possessed by a demon, Jesus is now back on the other side of the lake where he started doing his healing and his teaching. Now, when he first left this side of the lake, there was a mob of people crowding around him, trying to get a piece of him. They were trying to get a piece of Jesus while he was over on this side of the lake at the beginning of what he was doing in and around Galilee because he had done some really amazing things and he had started to, to create a sort of reputation for himself. He did things like drove out demons. He cured a leper. He helped a paralyzed man walk. He healed a man with a shriveled hand. We talked about that last week. He taught with more charisma and authority than any of them had ever seen or heard before. So he's now back on that side of the lake again. And the second he gets out of the boat, puts his feet on dry ground, there's the crowd again. They're surrounding him. They're pressing in on him. And it's from, it's from out of that crowd that Jairus sees his opportunity and he makes his move. Now, there's something we have to understand for a moment about Jairus. He wasn't just, just an ordinary Joe Schmo. He wasn't just an ordinary guy. He, he's an important guy. He's a prominent guy. He's a guy with, with an a, a, extraordinary amount of influence and the credentials to back it up. He was a religious man. He was a pious man. Mark tells us that, that, that he was a leader in the synagogue. So everybody in the crowd knows who Jairus is, but what they might not know is why this important, influential man is down with his face in the dirt at the feet of Jesus. This man is also a desperate man. He's got nothing left. He's completely empty. So this influential pillar of the community throws himself down at the feet of Jesus, this scruffy homeless guy with no real credentials other than his reputation for being a healer. And he says to Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she might be healed and live. Desperation. If, if there's one thing that we human beings all have in common, it's that we've all been in that place of desperation. We all know exactly what it's like to be completely empty, helpless, vulnerable. And if we're paying attention to the story, any parent or grandparent or aunt and uncle knows exactly what Jairus is feeling. He's desperate. He's got nothing left. Completely vulnerable. It happened back when I was in seminary. Uh, the details are a little bit fuzzy now because that's what memory does. And this was 18 years ago. But here's how it happened. I remember getting a phone call that my little niece, Rachel, was born. She's my sister's first child and my parents' first grandchild and our first niece or nephew. So we celebrated. It was amazing. We have a niece. It was like mind-boggling to think about that. And then I remember a little while later, we got another phone call. She's not eating well. 
and she's sort of spitting up this green gunk. The doctors are checking her out. And we were like, okay. Began to get worried. A little while later, we get another phone call. She's got a twisted bowel and it's formed a lump inside her little newborn belly the size of a plum. They're rushing her in for surgery. She's just hours old. There we were eight hours away in Michigan. Nothing we could do. Do we stay? Do we go? All we could do was pray. And I remember not feeling very well at all about any of this. I remember not sleeping well at all that night. I was sick. I was, I was desperate, helpless, vulnerable, hurting for my newborn niece that I'd never met, not knowing if I would ever get a chance to meet her, crying out for my sister and her husband. I remember feeling as I lay there in bed, that I should try and do everything I could. I move heaven and earth to try to heal her, but of course I couldn't do that. I was completely desperate, vulnerable. Desperation, you've been there. You know what that feels like. We've all been there. That's where Jairus is. He's with his face in the dirt at the feet of Jesus. He says, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so what does Jesus do? He went with him. The crowd went too, still pressing in on him. And Mark tells us that there's a woman there. Now she's not an ordinary woman either, just like Jairus isn't an ordinary man. She's not an ordinary woman, but because of things that are the opposite of Jairus. She's an outcast. She's one of the least of these. She's one no one else will even touch. She's been bleeding for 12 years, 12 long years of being labeled unclean, 12 long years of being called dirty. Her husband probably divorced her. Church people won't have anything to do with her. The religious law marginalized her. She wouldn't even be able to enter the synagogue for worship. The doctors have tried everything. She spent everything she has and she's only gotten worse. She's broken. She's at the end of everything. She's got nothing left. So she reaches out and she touches Jesus' cloak, thinking to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She's desperate. So I've been listening recently, revisiting a, an artist that I haven't listened to in a while and for whatever reason just decided to listen to again. His name is Matt Carney. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up because he's awesome. He's got some really, really good stuff. Anyway, he's written this song called Lifeline. And I want to read you some of the lyrics. I'm not going to sing it this time. But what I want you to do is to have this woman in mind. She's been completely isolated and alone, sick, not getting any better, isolated from every part of society, even her church. She's desperate. I want you to think of her as you listen to these words. 
watching everything you've ever held on to slip away from you. All you're running from is catching up to you. It's got you looking for a lifeline. Watching everyone you've ever belonged to walk away from you. Got you looking for a lifeline. The world is too big to never ask why the answers don't fall straight out of the sky. I'm fighting to live and feel alive. Won't you send me out a lifeline? Ugh. This woman is desperate. She's drowning and her lifeline is the cloak of Jesus. She's out of options. She touches it and immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. What? Jesus feels it, not her touching his clothes, but the power go out of him. Almost as if he didn't have anything to do with it and it just happened and he was like, whoa, something just happened here. Begs a whole bunch of different questions, questions we don't have time to answer, but look at what he does. He fights hard through the crowd, trying to figure out who touched his clothes. Who touched my clothes, he says. And his disciples, his followers, they can't believe it. They're like, dude, you got all kinds of people pressing up against you, and yet you can say, who touched your clothes? Yeah, who touched my clothes? Now the woman's scared. She's utterly frightened. She didn't think he'd notice. She didn't think that she was worth his time. I mean, he's a Jewish man and he's not supposed to talk to a woman out on the street. And yet he looks at her and says, daughter, you only say that to someone you really care about. Jairus has a daughter. And now here's this outcast who's interrupted him from saving the daughter of a prominent Jewish person, a ruler in the synagogue. Here's an outcast and he looks at her and calls her daughter as if she somehow belongs to him. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and peep and Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She's whole again. Her status as an outcast is completely reversed. She has new life. She has a new future. Everything is going to be different. Her world is fundamentally changed. So the doctors, they remove the... They remove the little lump from Rachel's little newborn belly. And hours later, we get a phone call. She pooped. <laughs> it was green. And there was so much excitement around it because it meant the stuff that she was spitting up was now going the right way. She was healed. They put her back together again. And if I remember correctly, my family all gathered in that room. And together, they sang the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. All because she pooped green poop. Still today, the scar is called a miracle. Somewhere deep down in her soul, I think Rachel knows that she's loved and she's cared for and that the divine is looking out for her. She has a miracle. She is a miracle. Is it significant that Jesus takes precious time away from a religious person, uh, an important religious person, a ruler of the synagogue? Is it significant that Jesus takes time, precious time away from someone like that in order to pay really close attention to an outcast in society? Is it significant that Jesus makes room in his schedule watching over and holding together an entire universe in order to heal a helpless little newborn baby through the hands of doctors and nurses? I think it's significant. I think it says something significant about Jesus. I think it says something significant about the divine. But here's the deal. Now Jesus has a problem. He's now been touched by an unclean person, which of course makes him unclean. And his church makes it clear. He has to stop right there, take all of his clothes off and wash them. He's got to scrub all his whole body down and he can't touch anyone or enter anyone's house now until the sun goes down. His church makes that clear. He's got rules to obey, things to follow. He can't defile anybody now. But it might not matter because some other people come from Jairus' household and they tell Jairus that her, his daughter's dead and they shouldn't bother the teacher anymore. But Jesus ignores them. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Just trust. The child is not dead, but only asleep. And the crowd laughs at him. Again, he ignores him. The laws say that since he's unclean, he can't go into the house. But guess what? Jesus ignores that too. He just walks right into the house, defiling everything in the place. This is a religious leader's house. This is a, the house of a ruler of the synagogue he's just defiled. Then he touches a dead body doubly defiling himself. But as he does, he says these words, little girl, I say to you, get up. And as he breathes out those words, the little girl breathes them in and she gets up. She walks around a little bit and maybe takes a piece of bread from her mommy and fills her tummy. She has a new life. She has a new future. See, this story really is amazing. Jesus breaks down social and religious barriers again just to bring healing to a woman bleeding for 12 long years. 
You don't take away time from a religious person, a prominent religious person, to heal someone like that, an outcast Jesus. you got to take care of all the church people first. Thank you very much. But then he does it again. He breaks down the social and religious barriers of his day in order to bring new life to a 12-year-old girl. I don't think that we can read this story, these two stories woven together, and not get it through our thick skulls that this is the kind of thing the church should be all about. And here's the deal. Some of you are thinking, Aaron, you constantly bring this up. You talk about this all the time. Yeah, I do. You want to know why? Because it's all over the pages of the Jesus story. It's everywhere. In fact, if you're paying attention at all, it's all throughout the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. And I don't think we can read this book. I don't think if we're paying attention, we can read this book and not get it through our thick skulls that this is the kind of thing that the church ought to be about. Not building barriers in order to protect ourselves or building walls in order to keep other people out, but knocking them down in order to offer the grace and love and healing and acceptance of Jesus to those who surround us every single day. Every decision we make, even the seemingly little ones, like who am I going to talk to? Who am I going to spend time with? Where am I going to go to shop? All of those little things. Who will we walk with? Who will we associate with? What organizations will we work alongside? Every little decision we make, every day of our lives ought to be about offering the hospitality and grace and healing of Jesus. It's right here in this story, once again. So we're part of a denomination called the Reformed Church in America. If you didn't know that, you know that now. A few years ago, about a decade ago now, for the first time in 400 years, our denomination voted to to adopt another confession. This is a really big deal. You see, we have these creeds and confessions that that say what we believe. Things like you may have heard of, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed or like the, uh, the, the, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, these things are really important to us, and they're, they're really sacred in some sense. And with these documents, we say to the world, this is what we believe This is what we stand for, and this is who we stand for. So this is a big deal for us. We haven't done this in 400 years. So this new confession is called the Belhar Confession, and it comes to us out of the church in South Africa. It has its roots in the struggle against apartheid and the vicious racism in South Africa. I want you to listen to some of the words of this new confession. The church must stand by people in any form of suffering and need. Which implies, among other things, that the church must witness against and strive against any form of injustice so that justice may roll down like the waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The church, as the possession of God, must stand where the Lord stands, namely against injustice and with the wronged. We believe that in obedience to Jesus, its only head, the church is called to confess and do all of these things 
even though the authorities and human laws might forbid them and punishment and suffering be the consequence. Stand, stand where the Lord stands. Yeah, stand where the Lord stands. Out on the streets with our arms wide open, welcoming and offering love to the outcasts and those who are marginalized in this world, giving them love and acceptance. Stand where the Lord stands in a house filled with death, offering hope and love and grace and new life. Stand where the Lord stands, offering forgiveness to those who have wronged us. Stand where the Lord stands, working to make better, safer schools for the little ones. Stand where the Lord stands at Walmart, buying groceries for a food bank. Stand where the Lord stands, breaking down, reaching over every barrier that divides us. Stand where the Lord stands. Desperation. These two people were desperate for Jesus. You and me, and I believe, whether we know it or not, every single person on the planet is also desperate for Jesus. But you want to know the thing that really amazes me about this story? God's even more desperate for us. I mean, it's why why God became a human being in the person of Jesus in the first place, because God is so desperate. The divine became one of us because God is desperate to be in relationship with the people he created. Just look at the story. In the story, Jesus is just as desperate to be with these people as they are desperate to be with him. Just look at what he does. Jesus has to fight through the crowd on his way to Jairus' home because he is desperate. He's got people pressing in on him. On the way, a woman touches his cloak and she's healed. And Jesus is desperate to figure out who is it? Who touched my clothes? Then Jesus has to fight through the religious laws in order to get to Jairus' house, in order to heal his daughter. And once there, Jesus has to fight through the laughter and the scoffing of the crowd just to get inside and offer new life where there is none. Jesus is also the desperate one in this story, desperate to show love and healing and desperate to transform the lives of the ones he loves. Friends, I'm going to bottom line it for you right now. There's nowhere we can go, any one of us, There is nowhere we can go, no situation we find ourselves in that the love of God in Jesus can't find us and transform us and change us and give us a whole new future. Let's pray.